musical makes me feel like I'm a part of something bigger. My favorite business show. Hands down, the best B2B sales and marketing podcast. The ultimate resource for salespeople. George makes me want to conquer local. An authentic entertainer. Conquer Local with Vendasta. Here's George Leaf. Welcome to season four of the Conquer Local podcast. I have been trying to get this next guest on the show for a number of years, and it's mostly just been scheduling conflicts. But I think that you are going to find the next 20 minutes or so very insightful and very entertaining as we speak to one of the top sales leaders on the planet. Mr. Stephen Defina, the VP of Revenue at ClearBank, joins us next on the Conquer Local Podcast. Joining me on the line from uh, beautiful downtown Toronto, Ontario, Canada, Stephen Defina, the VP of Revenue at ClearBank. Stephen, welcome to the Conquer Local Podcast. At long last, we get the legendary Stephen Defina on the show. <laughs> George, happy to be here. And I'm actually in the suburbs of Toronto in, uh, in my, my nice tree-lined street view from my bedroom in good old Mississauga and uh, excited to be, uh, be part of the podcast today. Well, great. I think one time in my past, I went to Toronto and Mississauga, but it's been so long since I've traveled, I, for I forget what it's like. I know, I know. It's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a whole new world, right? We're all, we're all getting used to our homes. You know, you're you're not originally from Toronto, though. No, is is the accent giving it away? Am I coming across as that American right now? Is that what's happening, George? No, not not at all. You're one of the <laughs> nicest gentlemen I've ever met. So it's hard to believe that you're actually from the U.S. No, I'm kidding. I love Americans. <laughs> yeah, no, I actually. Um, so originally, I grew up um, right outside of Boston, um, and I went to business school in Connecticut and started my career in sales uh, in New York and was real lucky to, to live in New York City for, you know, right around like 11 years and uh, and then relocated to Toronto. And I've been in Toronto now for almost nine years. So, yeah. You know, uh, I was trying to think back to when I was introduced to Stephen Defina and it was by uh, our uh, mutual friend, Mr. Butch Langlois, when, when you folks were over at, uh, at Rogers. Um, Tell us about that 3.5 years there that you were the head of sales at Rogers and Outrank. Yeah, that was, that was a real exciting journey. Um, you know, I, I, I think back to um, when I was in New York, I was working for uh, a startup company called Yodel. And, you know, we had, we had a lot of success scaling. When I joined, we had like 35 people on the sales team, scaled up to over 300. And I remember the founder, um, he pulled me into his office and he's like, Hey, we have, um, we have this partnership opportunity with this telco in Canada called Rogers. And they're really interested in doing a partnership and bringing our, our sales model, uh, to Canada and selling it, you know, as a white label product. And he's like, what do you think? And I was like, well, what do you mean? And I'm like, sounds cool. You know, and he's like, no, no, no. What do you think about the opportunity? And I was, I was like terrified. Cause I was like, what? I was like, wait, where are you sending me? And he's like, Toronto. And I was like, I, I'm like, I live, I live in New York. Why are you sending me to Toronto? I'm like, you need me to go for like a week? And he's like, no, 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 we need you to move there. Um, and so that was kind of the introduction to Butch and Butch's vision at the time was really building out an incubator 
for startup companies within the Rogers ecosystem and really figuring out how do we bring companies in, let them grow, and then as they're scaling, figure out how to actually fold them into other um, cross-selling opportunities within Rogers. And so it was great because Butch is, he's such a phenomenal operator. Uh, he knows how to manage. And one of the things that I really loved about him was instant trust, instant credibility right away. He told me what needed to be done. And um, when I moved up to Toronto, you know, we scaled from, I was the first employee on the team. Within two years, we were over like 200 plus people. Um, and, you know, we went from zero to over 23 million, uh, you know, in revenue in, in a very short period of time. And, you know, I credit a lot of it to the team um, and a lot of it to like his leadership and really just trusting in me to, to do what I, you know, knew how to do at that time. It was, um, I was trying to think about it before we jumped on the show today, but I believe it was about five and a half years ago when uh, Brendan King, our CEO, and myself traveled to Toronto and, and got to see the Outrank operation. And it was it was your team that took us on on the tour. And, and that was before we started doing inside sales. And, um, you know, just to, to refresh your memory, I'm a, I'm a guy with a bag um, salesperson, you know, my background in the media business where you just put all the flyers and the one sheeters in your bag and go out and try and hawk ads and, um, and then being introduced to that machine, um, that predictable revenue machine that you had built, it, it was somewhat overwhelming. I will tell you when we were walking through there, but at the same time as, uh, scared shitless as I was, because I knew that was what we wanted to do, what our CEO wanted to do. I was super excited at some of the process and the, and the way that you had built out that engine. Um, it, was it a, was it what you were doing at Yodel and then you, and you just did a copy paste or did you have to adapt it for the, the application with, with Rogers? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think scared shitless is a good way of putting it. Cause I felt the same way, like the night before my first day on the job. Um, and it's true, right? Like you go into these projects and these ventures with what you know, but what you know is never what it ends up to be. And I think like I was lucky that I worked with such incredible people at Yodel and I, and I still am very close with, you know, the, the leadership team there. But a lot of the stuff that we knew wasn't exactly what happened. And I, and I specifically remember like within the first, I don't know, two months, we, we identified that even though we were building the, the repeatable engine, what we didn't realize was how important it was to localize the product even when you just go from the U.S. to Canada and product localization is important, which also highlights how important customer experience is. So, you know, you figure these things out as you go um, and you learn from it and then you take it to the next thing. I remember one of the things that Butch told us um, when we were working with him to build out our inside sales is he said, you, you need to have somebody write the script. And then they need to take the script and close a hundred deals and then they'll know they have the right script. And, um, I, I remember walking out of that and, uh, Mr. King, our CEO, we were, we were about to uh, go to the airport and he's like, I guess you're writing a script and you're going to lock yourself in a room and close a hundred deals. Um, and, and that was one of the things that really scared me because I, I didn't really think that I used a script, but then when we sat down and started to build the presentation, we we use a script. It's just, it, it's not written out. It's just, you know what works at what times. And by putting it into a process and by putting it into a script, 
you have the ability to make it repeatable. So I'd, I'd love to get your, because I, I've had some knockdown drag out wars with various leaders over the years that have said, oh, I hate scripts. Um, but it's not taking the personality away from the, the salesperson. What it is, is it's giving them a path that has been tried, tested, and true when it comes to speaking about the product or dealing with an objection. So I'd love to get your lens on that. Yeah, I, uh, th- this one's close to me. Um, and uh, even where I'm at right now with ClearBank, you know, I, I have brought um, this, a similar model from you know, my experience at Rogers to when I was at TradeGecko before being acquired by Intuit to now where I'm at with ClearBank. And it's true. There's, it's funny, like a lot of people have an allergic reaction to the word script, um, both at the executive level as well as candidates that you're interviewing. And when you break it down, like the whole goal of having a script is really a baseline coaching tool that enables you to optimize for behavior. And, and I think that like anyone that has allergic reactions to that, it's nor it's usually because they've never done it before and it's just scary. Right. Or they just had a bad experience and they have buyer's remorse. Right. Um, so I think that like, like anything, it's really important just to be open-minded and truly like understand what it is that you're uncomfortable with. Um, and that's probably been one of like one challenge I've always had to overcome from any job that I've had is being able to, you know, deal with that objection. Um, like I can remember when I started working at trade gecko, they were based out of Singapore and I had never scaled uh, scaled sales teams, you know, overseas before I did it across the U S I did it across Canada. I never done it overseas. And so I remember when I was in Singapore and we had a small team of like seven or eight salespeople, one of the reps, um, she said to me, you know, this isn't going to work. And I was, I was in the training, like going through the theory of why the script was written a certain way. And we were coaching to the theory and she's like, this isn't going to work. And I said, why? She's like, well, people, you know, out here, they're, they're not going to respond to a script. And I go, well, what do you mean? And she's like, well, there's no way I can pitch this in Mandarin because people won't buy it in Mandarin. And I said, I said, okay, how about this? How about you do it 10 times? And if nobody buys from you, then we'll burn it. Or if you want to write one better, you can write one better. And she's like, deal. And it's funny to this day, we always have this inside joke about how nobody in Mandarin buys when you read a script to them. So obviously it worked, but at the end of the day, it's like anything you have to, you got to figure out how to read your audience and how to get credibility. And as a leader, you can't be afraid to throw those bets on the table to earn the respect of your team so that you can show them what's possible. Um, And that's really what I love about leadership and building teams. One of the things I wanted to make sure that I asked you from the the moment that you, um, and, and what was it, uh, Court Cunningham that convinced you to move up to Canada at Yodel, or who who was it at Yodel? It's funny. Everybody everybody seems to take credit for it when when they ask. Um, and and you know I was single at the time, and so I'm lucky. Um, I met my wife <clears throat> up in Toronto. Now we have three beautiful kids, but um, Melind was actually. The one, because uh, he was GM at the time, and he was a co-founder of Yodel. Right. So, from the moment you arrive in in Toronto, you start working at Rogers to where we stand today. It's has sales evolved that much, um, and if so, what what would you say are the top three evolutionary moments of sales in those years? 
Yeah, I don't know if I have three, but I'll, I'll definitely give you a couple off the top of my head. And I think this is a really good conversation. A buddy of mine who works at Shopify, we were talking about this a couple of weeks ago. And the, the first one is this whole idea of cold calling is dead. Um, like, I, I just think it's so funny how that, that stigma of, well, I'm using outreach and I'm running sequences, so I don't need to cold call. And like, the, the reality is that like, a lot of the evolution of the tech stack has actually enabled salespeople to have different engagement tools, which allows us to be maybe more prescriptive or maybe more surgical. But if anything, because more people are, are really embedded into the stack and they're not picking up the phone, it actually gives the people that pick up a phone more of an edge um, and you can come across really well if you, if, you know, if you do it the right way. Um, so I think the irony is that everybody's, everybody's, you know, floating right to, you know, tools like video messaging or social media or, um, you know, sequencing email tools and no one's picking up the phone. But the people like on my team right now who pick up the phone, they're getting really high conversion rates because they're not afraid to do it. And they're not getting, you know, accustomed to relying on the tech stack to get you a demo. Well, what a, what a great, uh, segue. I, I have, uh, not one upping you, but I've got a story. Um, you know, when COVID hit and I wasn't able to to travel and do the enterprise motions that we're doing and the internationalization that we were doing, I, I was able to really dig into the day-to-day -day operations. And, you know, we were trying some outbound efforts and we're in the middle of, of ramping up the sales organization. So we actually, it, rather than just have an outbound team, I'm like, why doesn't everybody just start doing a little bit of outbound um, and, and see what happens. And over the last 60 days, we've been able to convert and, and create presentations from this outbound effort. And for some of the reps are like, oh, I wasn't even thinking that that was a thing, but I, I agree with you a thousand percent. If an organization believes that cold calling is dead, we'll eat their lunch every day, um, as you know, as a competitor, because it, it is yeah. a bit of a competitive advantage. I, I want to interrogate one thing though. I, I don't, I wonder if you believe that it's not just using the phone, it's using any sort of a tool that you can send a cold outreach is the way that I look at it. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree with that. And, and, you know, like growing up in sales back in the day when I worked at Yahoo, like we didn't have any of that. And I'm like, I'm probably aging myself right now when I was like, I remember my SVP throwing a phone book down on my desk when I was a manager and he's like, all right, dial away. And I was like, yeah, but I'm a manager. And he's like, exactly pick up the phone. And I was like, shit, I, I, I get what he's saying. Um, to now when it's like, you know, you've got social media, I mean, you've got like all these different engagement tools, but a lot of times, man, it's distracting. Like, it's almost like a rep who doesn't have a reason why they're going to call their next lead other than, oh, it's the next one in my list, which is a terrible, a terrible strategy to trying to engage a prospect, you know? One of the things uh, that, that I believe has been a a game changer. And I wanted, I think I know what your answer is, but I wanted to ask you this question. Um, back in December of 2018, our friend, Mr. Langlois messaged and said, I'd like you to become a founding member of the Revenue Collector, the Toronto chapter. And I'm like, well, I'm in Saskatoon. He says, wow, you know, it's Canada. Um, <laughs> and uh, so I joined, not really even understanding what it would be. And now I don't know how I could do my job without that community. How, how do you feel about, about the Revenue Collective? Yeah, I um, 
so Sam, um, you know, the founder of the, of the RC, Sam and I have been friends for a long time back in New York. And when he pitched me on it and he said to me, look, I want you to help us launch Canada. Um, I want you to do this. And I, I was like, I love this idea, but I'm not the guy to do it. I'm like, I'm going to introduce you to the guy who, who can do a way better job for me. And that's Butch. And I have a lot of respect for how, how well he has done at building our chapter, which you know, George. But the, the one thing about the, the RC that I love is that people don't realize if you've never been in sales leadership, especially executive sales leadership roles, how real lonely it is carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders. And Sam's done such a phenomenal job of creating empathy and also empowering people um, you know, to really like help each other out because a lot of the times you're just trying to figure it out. Um, and you have all this pressure coming down on you from founders or from the board. And you've also got all this pressure for your team where you don't want to let them down and you want to make sure that they're set up for success. And I think the, the revenue collective, um, has, has really built out an incredible footprint of being able to help, you know, revenue operators like you and me, no, number one, hey, you're not alone. I've been there. Here's a couple tips. But more importantly, like the future is brighter than you think because sometimes those moments are pretty scary, right? Yeah. And I, you know, it was interesting. I went to the Alexander Group conventions for a couple of years, was introduced to me by some friends in the media space. And, you know, Alexander Group, very large consultant um, in the sales space and manufacturing and technology and media and in medical. We've actually had uh, Matt Bartles and uh, Quang on the show a couple of years back and going to those conventions, which are pretty cool, by the way, um, and sitting at a table with a sales leader from GE. I remember one panel that I watched at one of those conventions, there was $30 billion in revenue on the stage at one point in time. And to be able to walk up to those folks afterwards and have a conversation was uh, was pretty cool. The, the thing I noticed was a lot of it was validation. So you go to the event, you're talking to other people that are dealing with the same problems and they go, oh yeah, I had that problem or I'm, I'm just dealing with that problem now. And you're, you're going, oh, okay, I'm not alone. Um, and then to be in the revenue collective and, and to be able to ask that question. So you know they, they do their community inside a Slack group and you can go in and ask a question about, you know, I'm thinking of adding this tool to my tech stack. Has anybody else tried it? And they and you get all this this feedback, which is great. And then you can actually go into you know private conversations with folks to have an even you know maybe a, a more confidential discussion. It's just an, an enormous resource to have. And I I've found and you know your background working inside SaaS software companies, I've found that you know the sales department is over here moving the solution and dealing with the customers. And a lot of times, you know, in the early days, I was really outnumbered. I remember going to an executive meeting and there was one salesperson and like seven other people that were in R&D and in finance. And, and in, a lot of times it was beat up on the sales side of the business. Um, but having that community that you can reach out to is, is a real uh, benefit. Now, they've just expanded it. And I, and I was wondering if you could give us a bit of uh, feedback. There's a rising executives group. There's an operations group. They, they're really doing a great job of giving that entire part of the organization that's that, you know, responsible for the customers and driving the revenue, um, bringing more and more of those folks into this type of community. Yeah. I think the, like, look, the narrative, it works because people need help. And 
with, uh, you know, with the RC, I think right now we're close to what, I think like 4,000 global members. And Sam came up with the idea of associate membership, which is the up and comers, right? Like people that are aspiring to be a first time VP of sales. I mean, I think that that's great. Like, I wish I had that, right? Like I didn't have that back in the day. Um, and now he's, he's kind of, um, built it out with operations. And so when you think of like all the other components to a team, um, how this could work, you know, on the other side of the, of the business as well. So I think it's great. And, you know, I tip my hat to, to him and the team and all the chapter leads. Like there's a lot of really incredible people who've done very impressive things in their career. And the one thing that I love is how humble a lot of them are, right? Like I'll get asked to do a coffee meet or, you know, a workshop and then I'll, I'll start talking to someone. And if I didn't look up their LinkedIn profile and I don't really know, we just start wrapping through backgrounds. And I'm just like, Oh my God, this guy grew, you know, like a $500 million business in three years. And he was like employee five. I'm like, this is, this is impressive. And those things are really inspiring for, for me because, you know, I'm 41. I, you know, I've been fortunate enough to work on four startups and two of them have had exits and I know some things, but I don't, I don't know it all. And, and it's amazing being able to get exposure from, you know, guys like that. I remember about a year and a half ago, I was uh, following Mike Sanchez, um, who's over at Bold Commerce now is the chief revenue officer. And I remember him writing a LinkedIn post about how he had just brought on his um, VP of revenue operations and if he could do it all over again in organizations, he would make that his first sales hire to build out that infrastructure. And, uh, you know, now I come here to 20, to uh, 2020, 2021, and I'm uh, watching my friend Stephen Defina's channel, and I see you getting mentioned by uh, a sales enablement leader in your organization that had moved on and saying a lot of uh, great things about you and your leadership. Um, let's talk about sales enablement and revenue operations and how important it is to organizations today. Yeah. I, you know, I think this is one of those things that, um, if you're not in sales or revenue and, you know, you want to make a case for, Hey, we need to hire or build an organization around sales enablement. People don't understand how crucial that role is. And it goes back to what we were talking about earlier about having a coaching baseline, um, as your as your organization scales, you need to have a good strong baseline for your top of funnel strategy, your middle funnel strategy, your bottom funnel strategy. And if you expect to grow, you need to be able to hire and you need to be able to onboard. So the like the way I look at enablement, I mean that is a true partnership, and it's extremely important to get it right early because if you get it right early, you can build on it. Same thing with, with RevOps, right? RevOps is always like one of the first hires. Um, like, I mean, I can think of every job I've had. First thing that comes out of my mouth when the CEO says like, like, what do you need? I always say, I need a RevOps guy. Like I need a RevOps person who's going to help me build this. Um, and, and like, you can't put a price on that because data integrity, high, data hygiene, it's so important it's very easy to become biased to numbers, especially when you work in sales. You always want to preach the best number, but you need those people to keep you honest and show you like the truth of, hey, you're going to fall off a cliff in six months if you keep operating your playbooks this way. Or, hey, your TAM is going to be tapped next year. Just keep that in mind before you go to your next board meeting. Like, You can't put a price on people like that. 
And um, I, I actually think like th- like those people are like the real stars and heroes, and they don't get enough of the credit. Um, and uh, and and I like I I, be- I really believe in that. So I know a number of people who know you, and I and I've met some people who've worked in your organizations, and they can't say enough great things about your leadership style. How would you describe your leadership style, Stephen? I appreciate you saying that, and you obviously haven't spoken to the people that don't like me, but that's okay. <laughs> They're out there too. Um, I don't know, man. Like, I, I, I really, I, I think my leadership style is just, I am, I am the guy that's going to push you. Like, pure and simple. I really focus on building the best level of like, you know, relationship or connection that I can with somebody quickly. Because once I feel that I have that, I'm going to push you and make you really uncomfortable. And I'm never going to stop doing it. And as long as I can have that connection where I know we're good, like we're on, we're on the same wavelength and that, that safety's there, I'm going to keep pushing you. Uh, because that's what makes not only people great, but those are the types of environments where you thrive when everybody is getting better, right? When everybody's pushing themselves and they can see you work in an environment where all of these people are rising and closing these deals or you know, booking these meetings and, um, and it's just a really energetic place to be. Um, so I think like, that's probably the best way I classify, you know, my, uh, my leadership style. When you, um, when you're working with a team, um, it, it makes it easier though, if you've hired the right people that you've identified in the interview want to be pushed. Because uh, keep in mind, sales is all about commission. And you know, I, I've had some sales leaders that I didn't like too much at the time when I was being pushed, but I sure did like it when I looked at my T4 at the end of the year. <laughs> and for our American listeners and other listeners around the world, that's where, you know, yeah. that's where you know how much money you made. Um, yeah. it, it really comes with, with the job, like being in sales. Yeah, yeah, it's true. I mean, but the thing is, is like, you know, you know how the old adage is like, oh man, I don't, <clears throat> I'm not going to focus on like my top guys. Cause they're always going to be my top guys. I'm going to focus on my middle of the row guys. Cause if they can just get a little bit better and I have a lot of them, I'm going to really move the needle. And whenever people say that to me, I'm always like, well, forget about that. How much potential does your team have? Like, how do you actually measure potential of a team? Because if you focus your coaching strategies on that, then you're really going to be able to push the needle. Um, and a lot of times people just assume these knee-jerk reactions to, well, he was 150% to target for the last two quarters. I don't need to worry about that guy. And I'm like, okay, well, dude, your quotas are screwed. That guy's got the wrong quota. You know what I mean? So it's all relevant, I guess, is what I'm saying. No, it's it, it's an interesting battle, that's for sure. Um, I want to talk a little bit about... Some really great insights, Stephen, um, but I'm going to hold you to those three items. We got one. I'm hoping we can get two more as to how you think that sales has evolved um, in, in the past nine years. So one, one thing that I've noticed that seems to have changed, um, and I don't know really how to measure it, is um, the, the, the power of the, the key influencer on the decision-making process, meaning like you know, you identify a lead in Salesforce and you're like, oh, this is the VP of marketing or this is the CEO. That's the decision maker. That's the decision maker. And like one thing that I'm noticing more and more whenever I do deal strategy or we're doing pipeline reviews, like we're identifying, like they're like, they're talking about something like, oh, this is the co-founder. I'm like, okay, well, what role is this person? 
oh, well, they do this, or what role is this person in? And, and I'm uncovering that these people have more weight in the decision-making process than, than we realize. And I find that it's growing more and more and more. And it's almost like who you thought was the DM is not the true DM. Um, so I don't know if I want to call it an evolution and I'm not really sure why that's changed so much. Maybe it's just, maybe it's just because of technology and how more people are involved in decision-making with growing businesses and enterprise business. But that's one thing I've started to notice. I want to, I want, I have a opinion, which shocks all of our listeners because they usually do. But one, <laughs> one of the opinions that I have is that, you know, the ability to research and the ability to find those proof points is not just in the hands of the executive anymore. It's in the hands of everyone because it's easy for us to do research. And I, I also believe that there's a lot less decisions being made with the gut. How do you feel about that? Yeah. Um, like in terms of um, buyer decision-making, in terms of gut decision-making from from a DM. Yeah, the CEO, I'm just going to make the decision because I'm the CEO. And now they're like, no, I'm going to get some feedback from some people. We're going to do a bunch of research. I've got I've got uh, Brent over here who's going to go talk to seven other groups like this and get their feedback. And if the, if the sales rep is not doing that digging to find out who's all on the team, is this going to be a team decision? Who are the other people that I need to show my solution to so that they can understand it and not just get it secondhand? Um, you know, there just seems to be because research is easy to do. It, and and I think that, you know, there is a bit of fear of making the wrong decision um, and then having to own up to that decision. It's that, you know, that old adage of nobody ever got fired for picking Salesforce. Um, but, <laughs> you know, it, it comes back to we're going to make this decision to go with this solution and I better have done my due diligence. I can't just say, ah, oh, I, I thought that would be a good idea. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's true. And I think that like... <clears throat> I think one thing that I've, I've noticed more and more is that when, when you have a multi-persona process, it is, it is so important, especially with longer sales cycles, um, to really get good at what I call uh, MANS. So MANS is a really terrible acronym I made up. Um, mutually agreed next step. Um, and, and really what it means is like at every point as you're going through qualifying, right? Like, so if this person... You know, if, if we need to schedule another call, is there anything that you need to see or reason why we wouldn't be able to move forward? Or do you have any insights as to what the VP of marketing is going to want to see so that we can move forward with contracts, you know, next week? It's funny because reps don't realize that that is the close. Like that is effectively trial closing along the way. There's no like, you know, final close. It's a lot of it has to be built up with multiple people as you're going through it. And finally, number three. Oh man, I don't know if I have a three. I don't, <laughs> I, I'm, I, I'm tapping out. Those, are, those okay. are probably my top two. No problem. Let's come back to uh, one other thing that I wanted to ask. And I, I think this might be my theme for season four of the Conquer Local podcast when we get really great guests like you. Who does Stephen Defina, besides the Revenue Collective, turn to for inspiration? What podcasts are you listening to? What blogs are you reading? Who are your thought leaders that, that you're looking to today? Because I, I often think that those change. I look at mine over the last eight years, they've changed. Who are you in this year, where wherever anyone's listening to this podcast, who are you turning to for inspiration? Great question. And this is, this is hard because I, I actually don't listen to a lot of podcasts, especially now that I'm home. Before when I was commuting, I used to. 
However, um, what I am doing is really focusing on non, uh, like non-business book forms of literature. And the reason why I'm, I'm doing more of that, and I mean actually buying the books or, um, you know, what, or borrowing a book from someone, not just like going through Audible, um, because I find that like it gets my brain thinking about things that that I'm not thinking about, right? Like if I spend 12, 14 hours a day working and thinking about pipeline or our revenue strategy or retention strategy, and then I, you know, open up a book and I'm reading like Patrick Lencioni's Five Dysfunctions of a Team or, you know, Extreme Ownership, like it just, it's not as inspiring. So what I've been trying to do is every, you know, every couple months pick like two, two books that I want to read that's going to like help me with you know, just getting a little bit of crack at inspiration. And it's simple things too, right? Like, for example, Phil Knight's Shoe Dog. Great read. Great book. A lot of things you can pick up from that. Another good one is Phil Jackson's um, 11 Rings, you know, like, it's not core business, but a lot of it has practical team building tips. And also just hearing about what some of these guys um, and girls have gone through. It's it's really profound to hear other people's experiences and it gives you the ability to, you know, self-reflect. And for me, I get to answer your question. A lot of my inspiration comes when I'm able to just be away from it and self self-reflect, spend time with my wife, just be grateful for what we have. Um, you know, if we, if we go away for a weekend, I'll leave my phone, you know, stuff like that is where I find I get sharp and, um, good on ideas of what I want to build next. Whoa. I'm in a lot of trouble. My wife is going to read the transcript of this podcast or listen to it and say, Stephen's leaving his phone at home for the weekend, but maybe, maybe that's a good thing. So th thank you for that inspiration. Um, I, I'm going to have to deal with that, but it might actually be a very good thing. And, and thanks for the insights, Stephen. I, I've wanted to have you on the show for a long time and I've, I've been a big fan and um, you may not know this, um, you're, you're a very humble individual, but you've cut a wide swath across revenue leaders in this country and, and in North America. I hear your name a number of times and you're definitely an, an inspiration and we really appreciate you taking the time and joining us today here in season four of the Conquer Local podcast. George, thanks so much. Um, really appreciate it. Well, I knew that would be killer. I just, I just knew it. I've, you know, I've met Stephen a number of times. We've talked on the phone a number of times. Um, I think we share a number of the same views when it comes to coaching and leading. But let's go back to we tried to get three, and I think if he would have had more time, he could have definitely given us fifty. But the evolution of sales in the nine years since he moved to Toronto um, when he was tapped and. Um, sounds like he didn't want to do it in the beginning and turns out to be a great thing for him in, in the end of the day. But the first one, cold calling is not dead. Um, I, I think that, you know, there's more to this, though, than that whole dreaded cold calling word. It's persistence. It's not giving up. And it's trying to get in front of the customer. And don't just let the tech stack do it. And we see this numerous times. Like, I sent all the emails. I followed the cadence. I did the... No, but someone else made one extra call and they beat you to it. 
Um, so you know, quite interesting on that note. And I hear it from sales leaders everywhere. Number two in the evolution of sales, there are more people influencing the buying decision than ever. And you've got to really dig deep to figure out who it is. Because there could be someone sewering your deal that, that is an influencer that has not been highlighted by the, the people that you're talking to. So it's never been more important. It's always been important to figure out who the influencers are, but it's never been more important to deliver that value and maybe, you know, send a Loom video of the, the recording of the presentation or something like that so that it could be viewed by other folks. So, you know, those two things were quite interesting. The other thing that I found, you know, this whole idea of the revenue collective and, and I, you know, I thought I'd be able to prospect when I first joined, you know, I'm a salesperson, I'm like, whoa, leads. Um, but then I found, whoa, mentors and people that'll give it to you straight. And then I found, whoa, I'm not alone. And Stephen called that out, you know, leading an, an organization um, and the responsibility that comes along with it. A lot of the sleepless nights are, you know, we're, we're off target, trying to figure out why we are. I don't have a definitive answer. There's an executive meeting tomorrow. I know I'm going to be called on the carpet. Um, I've got three reps that didn't hit quota. I don't want to have the hard car, you know, just all of those things that spin around in your head. Uh, and, and he called it out. Having other people that you can speak to that are walking that walk and living what you're living and finding out that you're not alone has been, a, I, I just can't tell you enough how valuable it has been. Think about anyone that you use inside your support groups for whatever you're doing. Having those folks that are living what you're living and being able to bounce ideas off them is, is really a game changer. The other thing you notice, Stephen is super humble. Um, for him to say, you know, the thing they'd say about me is that I'm a pusher. And, and then he comes across, I do know this. He didn't say it in the broadcast, but I know from speaking to people who have worked with him, um, he leads from behind. He is a servant leader. He is there. He's trying to get the best out of you. And I think that after you get over the fact that you're mad at him because he called you out in your bullshit, you will appreciate that. And I find that, you know, the top leaders are the ones that really connect with their team. They figure out the levers that they can pull to get the best out of you. And they don't do it to manipulate. Sure, they might do it to manipulate you, but to manipulate you to get past your own ego and get past your own fears and your own doubts to achieve what you want to achieve. And that is a true coach and a true leader. When he was mentioning the things that he turns to, to inspiration, you know, he did mention extreme ownership. I know, which is military reference because it's from those great authors that were you know, the Navy SEAL guys, um, Jocko and Leaf. It's great, a great book. It's better to listen to it, by the way. But he referenced a number of coaches. And I find that the top sales leaders really follow those sports coaches that are out there, you know, Phil Jackson. And I, I think about COVID, the thing I think about, Michael Jordan, because they released the Michael Jordan story on Netflix right in the heart of COVID. My wife and I watched it in the garage because that's where we lived during COVID. Um, and I, I remember watching it. Michael Jordan, I thought was the nicest person on earth. Always had a smile, be like Mike in the commercials. He, you know, Coke and a smile when he was sponsoring Coke. Turns out he was a bit of a dick. Um, and because he wanted to win. And he would push all of the team members inside the organization to, you know, to rise above and to win because that's what they were there to do was to deliver those championships. So some interesting insights from, you know, I really believe Stephen Defina is one of the top sales leaders that I have met, period, in the business. So uh, go back, listen again, 
You're definitely going to learn something. Thanks to Stephen Defina for joining us in the Conquer Local podcast. We're looking for your feedback. Um, Producer Colleen is better at watching the community and making sure that we're following up on the comments. I'm trying. I'm going to make an effort here this year to be better at uh, following up quickly. But we love those comments around, hey, I like this episode. It'd be great if you did this. Um, that inspiration is what's leading us as we move into the, you know, the next three quarters of the year. And we're looking for the, that feedback on what you would like to see. Um, it is your, your podcast. And we take that feedback very seriously. And we look for um, your ideas as we're picking guests and picking uh, teaching episodes. So thanks again for joining us. Look forward to hearing from you in the Conquer Local community. And as always, I'm your host, George Leith. I'll see you when I see you. You've been listening to the Conquer Local Podcast with your host, George Leith. Executive producers are Brendan King, George Leith, and Colleen McGrath. Marketing by Rory Lawford. Recorded and mixed at Sound Lounge by T-Bone.